How's that for a slice of fried gold? Oh, you think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. I'll be back. There's a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm sorry, Ben. Well, hello, and welcome to Cinema Shock, and welcome to Further Viewing, where if you're digging the movie we discussed in the main episode, we're going to give you some more great ideas on films you can watch that feel great paired up with that very choice. Who knows? Maybe you'll even find your next favorite movie. I'm Gary Horde. Hey, I'm Justin Bishop. And we're going to do something a little bit different with this further viewing episode. A little uh, little Christmas present to our listeners. As we mentioned at the end of our uh, most recent episode, which was Silent Night, Deadly Night Parts 1 and 2. Because we were already doing something different with that by doing two movies in one episode. You know, that series, the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise, ran for an additional three movies, if you can believe it. So for this extras episode, we wanted to take a quick look, uh, not at necessarily movies that, uh, you know, would would pair in the traditional, like, double feature sense with Silent Night, Deadly Night, but we actually want to take a quick look at all of the Silent Night, Deadly Night sequels, parts three, four, and five. So it, it should be this should be fun. I am mildly excited. No, I'm just kidding. No, this is going to be great. No, this is fun. If you've never done it before, I will say, I I've, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a guy who loves to tear through franchises like this. So yeah, it's it's fun. a blast to at least say say that you've done it. Um, I, there, there are definitely some of these sequels that are better than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a roller coaster ride in many senses of that. <laughs> that phrase like uh in quality and enjoyment but i think they're all worth watching at least once probably you know if you're a fan of this type of movie and if you're listening to this well i assume that you are so at the end of silent night deadly night part two ricky was uh ricky being the killer was uh you you may recall riddled with bullets seemingly killed by the police but since when did getting pumped full of lead ever stop a slasher movie killer? Never. Not once in the history of slasher movies has that worked. Except for maybe Scream. Oh, maybe. But, and so in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3, uh, full title, excuse me, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, better watch out. There's an exclamation point at the end of that. So you have I to like say the way you way. said that. You have to. There's an exclamation point as the official part of the title. Better watch out. Uh, Ricky Returns. Ricky, but he's not played by Eric Freeman this time. He is played by a completely different actor, uh, and the film was made by a completely new creative team. So nobody involved on the creative side of things um, was involved in any of the previous sequels. In a lot of horror movies, by the way, you, you might be disappointed by that, but I can imagine that after part two... I could see nobody was aching for Lee Harry uh, and and <laughs> Eric Freeman, the modern day Scorsese and De Niro to come back for part three. <laughs> right. They were like, maybe it's time to shake things up a little bit. Yeah. The, uh, SD or SND universe. SND. <laughs> so, so live entertainment who 
they had acquired the rights to the franchise uh, uh, around the time that the first one was coming out on home video. Live Entertainment is primarily a home video company. They they produce movies that are intended to go to the video market. So they decided to make another sequel, despite part two failing on pretty much every front, creatively and financially. But they're like, you know what? We still own the rights to it, so why not? It's it's a great title, Silent Night, Deadly Night. So we're just going to roll with that and keep making them. So they decided that for this, for they decided that the best route for this next one would be to go straight to that burgeoning home video market instead of trying to do any kind of theatrical release at all. We're just going straight to video. That's what we do. So they hired a guy, an independent producer named Arthur Gorson, to shepherd this project. Uh, Gorson was brought on in March of 1989 with the goal of having a completed film ready to hit the video store shelves in time for the holiday season later that year. So they hired this guy in March, and they want a movie out by, let's say, Thanksgiving, right? So that's six, what's that, was it eight months? We got eight months to get a movie out. A movie that has not been written has not been cast, does not have a director, does not have a single person involved other than Arthur. (laughs) But we want this movie out in eight months. Can you do it? So, yes, Gorson, I guess he was confident in it, uh, but he he also happened to be friends with a veteran filmmaker by the name of Monty Hellman. Uh, Now, Monty Hellman, if you don't know the name, uh, an acclaimed director of, of a couple of Westerns. The, there's one called The Shooting and one called Ride in the Whirlwind. They both starred Jack Nicholson early in his career. Uh, he also directed a movie called Tulane Blacktop, which is a film from 1971 that stars James Taylor and Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys, brother of the guy who played the killer in the first Silent Night. <laughs> I was waiting movie. for that. Yeah, <laughs> which, uh, and, and Tulane Blacktop, has become a bona fide cult classic. It's a fantastic movie. It's even it's part of the Criterion collection, if that tells you anything. So like it's a good movie. I was so, I was thinking like Monty Hellman, like as you're describing this, when I look him up, I'm like, I don't hate this choice. Yeah, it's an interesting choice, but I mean they did they didn't hire him because of his like horror movie bona fides by any stretch of the imagination. Basically when it, when it came time to work on Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Gorman, he reached out to his buddy, Monty Hellman, to convince him to direct the film. Because he's like, I, I know a director. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, he, he, might need, he might be looking for work. Uh, maybe he'll want to do this. So Hellman surprisingly agreed, which seems out of character. Like, if you're looking at his other movies, like, this this seems really out of whack for the uh, compared to the other things he's directed. But... According to according to Hellman, when he was asked about this, he was incredibly sick with the flu when Gorson approached him about it. So he may not have been thinking clearly. He, like he had a fever, and he was like, he was not in the best frame of mind to be making life decisions. <laughs> and he later said, "Quote: There was nothing about it that caught my interest. In my weakened state, I only agreed as an act of friendship. So he just did this as a, as a." favor to his buddy and he wasn't thinking clearly about it when he signed on to do it because again he's not a horror movie guy now he had gotten his start as a director like a lot of other directors did around this time working for roger corman and he actually did make his directorial debut on a corman produced horror movie called beast from haunted cave but that doesn't mean that you're a horror movie guy just because you start off making a roger corman horror movie that's just what people did 
you know, in, in this generation of filmmakers. Uh, because so despite this, he was generally not a fan of the horror genre. Monty Hellman didn't like horror movies, but he agreed to direct the film with with one caveat. He said, so that they had already written a screenplay by the time he came on. Somebody had written it. I'm not sure who wrote it, couldn't find that information. But they sometime between when Gorman came on and when he contacted Monty Hellman or when Monty Hellman signed on, somebody had written a screenplay. And Hellman says, you know what? If I, I'll do it, but this screenplay sucks. I want to throw it out completely. I want to rewrite it from scratch. So that's what they did. An entirely new script was written over the course of just a single week, <laughs> one week. Uh, and the credited screenwriter is Carlos Laszlo, but that was a pseudonym. And I actually read somewhere that Carlos Laszlo was the name of like a baby that's in the movie. And they just took the, they took his name as like the pseudonym, but apparently like multiple people worked on the script, including Gorman and Hellman, as well as Rex, Rex Weiner and uh, who uh, uh, Rex Weiner a couple years later would rewrite the script for adventures in Fort, uh, the Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which was written by Daniel Waters, who wrote Heathers, who we just talked about recently. So there's a fun yep. little tie-in. So, and Bonnie Hellman's daughter, I think, contributed to the script. Yeah, so, Melissa. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of people involved in writing the script, which, if you've seen the movie, is surprising. <laughs> now, do you want to give us, Gary, do you want to give us a brief plot synopsis? Can I put you on the spot and ask you to give us a brief Back of the video box plot synopsis on what part three of the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise is about. Boy, uh, <laughs> that is really putting me on the spot. So uh, what I can tell you about this movie, if you haven't seen it already, is that there is a blind girl named Laura. And for some reason, there's a doctor, uh, Newberry is his name. And Dr. Newberry is testing... Uh, psychic connections with comatose people. And he's decided that the great idea is, I guess, because she's blind. Did I understand that right? Maybe she would have more... Or no, she she had displayed psychic phenomenon in the past. That was right. And so he's decided to pair her up with... I mean, if you're looking for comatose victims, who better than the surviving Ricky from... <laughs> from Silent Night, Deadly Night, part two. And uh, he is played this time by Bill Mosley. And she is making a psychic connection, but soon finds out that on this Christmas, his mind is not a gift you want to unwrap. <laughs> Did you make up that tagline just now? Yeah. Oh, that was good. Well done. Well, his, his mind is actually technically unwrapped because uh, uh <laughs> ricky in this movie uh features a uh, a transparent globe on top of his head on this like metal device where you can see his brain i don't know why because ricky was not shot in the head in the previous movie but in this in his comatose state his brain is exposed for some reason. And now he has a psychic connection to this girl who surprisingly not played by Jennifer Connelly, but they sure did try to find someone who looked exactly like her. They were <laughs> definitely like who would be perfect for this. Jennifer They're Connelly. Like, we can't like, yeah, Jennifer afford Jennifer Connelly. Connelly. No, she, she was in that, that Dario Argento movie where she had a psychic connection to bugs. So maybe she should also have a psychic connection to a serial killer who dresses as Santa Claus. So, uh. <laughs> 
I mean, there, it's a good look. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking like Jennifer Connelly, by the no, way. No, not Samantha at all. Scully. She's a very pretty lady. Yeah. Uh, but not going to have the same acting career, I don't think. No. I think I looked her up and she's like a, I found her on Instagram. I think she's like a, uh, owns an art gallery or something. Yeah, good for her. Interesting. Also ironic that they subtitled this movie, Better Watch Out, when it's about someone who literally can't do that. Oh. <laughs> 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 I did not see that joke coming. <laughs> oh, I now see what you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So uh, the end product is, and I'll I'll just be, show my cards here. Pretty boring for a movie about a slasher killer who has a psychic connection to a blind girl. I mean, that it sounds, is disappointingly boring. That like, that on d- paper disturbingly sounds, boring. Right sorry, on sorry paper, that no, you're fine. But on paper, that sounds like it should be a home run. Right? We've got we've got uh, Bill Mosley as the serial killer. He's got an exposed brain. He's a he's a he's a he's got psychic connections. Like wh- this should be fucking awesome this movie and it's not it's it's really not at all um <laughs> it's a it's a boring boring movie uh that, I, I mean if you if you'd have told me you got monty hellman and you tell me the movies that he's involved with and you're like now ricky's back in part three but this time he's played by bill mosley you tell me that this year of our lord 2023 going on 2024 i say okay let him cook let him yeah. cook. I like where this is going. This sounds kind of whack, but yeah. fun. Yeah. It's like, it's like a weird direction to take the franchise, but I'm on board with it because it sounds like it could just like, it's one of those decisions where you're like, well, where else can you go? You might as well go just big and weird and, you know, throw in some sci-fi elements and stuff and uh, and just go really big with it. But they don't. They It's just so subdued. The whole movie is so subdued. It's got a hell of a cast. I mean, in addition to Bill Mosley, you've got a couple of David Lynch regulars. You've got Mulholland Drive's Laura Haring, who plays uh, the girlfriend of the blind girl's brother. Uh, the, the brother is played by Twin Peaks alum Eric DeRay. And then the doctor is played by Twin Peaks's Richard Boehmer. Like, it's got some, it's got a cool cast. In addition to just, in addition to Bill Mosley, who is like a horror icon. And this is only a couple of years after he played Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw 2. So, like, people know who Bill Mosley is, like horror people do, and yet you hire Bill Mosley, one of the most charismatic dudes to ever grace a horror movie screen, and you give him a role where he just grunts the whole movie, doesn't say a word other than Laura's name. Like, why would you, why did you even hire Bill Mosley? Like, why? <laughs> I, even as a slasher movie, the movie spends no time. Like, I mean, I, I think I, I was looking for this. It was like, not until the final setting, you know, at the grandma's house and like he's outside, and he kills somebody that it actually shows him kill anybody. Like yeah. it's like the brother. Like it's not until he kills the brother does it actually show him even kill anybody. It's like, you know, off camera, most yeah. of the deaths up until that point. Mm-hmm. Super weird. Yeah, I think he does, there is the dream sequence of slicing that uh, receptionist neck or whatever. But yeah, 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 in the in the hospital. But I don't know. It's Monty Hellman. Also, first of all, I think he was taking himself a little too seriously with this, and maybe trying to make it more of a. 
I don't serious movie than than like what a slasher movie would entail. I don't, you know, like it feels that way. It feels like he felt like he was maybe above the material. But then again, he helped write the script. So, uh, but I, he didn't want to go the like the hack and slash route. So he just went. A, he 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 kept it a little bit too subdued. Not to mention that there's not a lot of Christmas stuff in it. Really, there's a little bit, but there's not. They don't lean into the Christmas stuff as much as the previous movies did. I mean, the first one really leans into it. The second one kind of waits till the end to really get to the good Christmas stuff. And this one, it's just kind of a backdrop. You know, yeah, that was the that was for some reason the thing that bothered me the most with part three, too. Well, besides the fact that it was just boring, right? Uh, like if it had just been like a really exciting, dumb movie, it might be one thing, but then it was also like, wow, there's you know, you know, it's at Christmas because like grandma's house has like a Christmas tree in it or right. whatever, but there's not they're like going to much. visit grandma for Christmas, and that's their motivation, yeah. I guess, but yeah, it's, there's just not a lot of Christmassy stuff in it. Uh, I don't think Bill Mosley ever even wears like a Santa suit or anything, does he? No, no, he should have. Like but like perch a little hat on top of his brain dome, like little Santa. <laughs> that would have like, been perfect. Would have been great. <laughs> uh, but they didn't do that. There, there is the. I mean, there is the Santa that Ricky, when he first wakes up, murders. That yeah. drinking and walking around the hospital. Yeah, the drunk, drunk, drunk hospital Santa. Uh, and then it's got that really weird last scene where Ricky has apparently been killed and then shows up in a tuxedo. I don't know if that was supposed to be like a, he like fades in a picture of him looking straight at the camera in a tuxedo. Um, I guess spoiler alerts on this, but uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. The bad guy dies at the end. Who cares? Um, But it's like, I don't know if they were doing like a homage to the last shot of the shining or I don't know what their intention there was. It's very strange. But very a happy weird. new year wishes you a happy new year yeah yeah it's 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 very strange but um the movie like they they shot it in it shot completely in valencia california so they start shooting remember they started working on this in march they wrapped by the end of april 1989 so it goes from we don't even have a script do we have a script? We hire a director. He throws out that script. We rewrite an entire script, shoot an entire movie, and it's done in less than two months. And then they completed editing in May. And then the movie makes its film festival premiere over the summer and then released on home video on time, November 17th, 1989, eight months after the new screenplay was written. So they were, it's ready to go. <laughs> it's That's wild. Insane. It's yeah. insane. Uh, but I just wish the final product were a little bit better. It's it's just kind of disappointing. Like I would rather it be more poorly made because it's not poorly made as far as like filmmaking technique. It's better than part two, but it certainly is not as entertaining as part two. No, definitely not. And I saw somewhere, and I don't know how true this is, but supposedly director Monty Hillman attended a screening of the movie in July of 2008 at the Alamo Draft House, and uh, the the one in Austin, yeah. and he said he uh, he told someone there he thought it was his best work, though not his best movie, <laughs> best work like my like technique as a director. I guess yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not his best movie. Um, so, with Ricky once again seemingly dead at the end of part three, the producers decided to go a completely different direction with part four 
Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 Initiation is the name of this one. So for this next installment, they decided to go the Halloween 3 route and turn the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise into like an anthology, I guess, where like every movie is going to be its own Christmas set horror story, which is not a bad idea, honestly. Starting no, at like four, idea. yeah. Starting at four movies in, it's a little weird. Just like starting at three movies in with Halloween was a little weird and didn't work out for them. But part four of Silent Night, Deadly Night would completely abandon the Ricky Billy Caldwell family saga and focus on just a, a standalone story. So this time around, Live Entertainment brought in a producer named Richard Gladstein to spearhead the project. Uh, Gladstein was, uh, an, he was an employee of live entertainment. He had, in fact, uh, his first producing credit was on part three where he was an executive producer, but he was really like in charge of the project this time around. And it was actually while he was, you know, working for live entertainment, he was brokering a home video deal for bride of reanimator, the sequel to reanimator to Stuart Gordon's movie. Uh, and he stumbled upon the perfect director to work on the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise, and that was Brian Yuzna. Brian Yuzna, of course, had been Stuart Gordon's producing partner on the original Reanimator and had been the director of the sequel. So Gladstein was impressed enough with Yuzna's work on Bride of Reanimator that he asked him if he had any interest in working on Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Well, Yuzna really did not have any interest in working on on it, at least not in the form that they were originally planning on, which was another movie about a, a killer Santa Claus. So he just decided, fuck it. I'll work on this movie, but I am not making a movie about a killer Santa Claus. And anyone who has seen the movie can attest that he not only abandoned the killer Santa Claus uh, concept, but pretty much abandoned the Christmas concept completely. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas has yeah. no play in part four other than like it takes place on Christmas Eve, but it doesn't matter that it takes place on Christmas Eve. I feel like for everyone who tries to argue that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, like I can easily argue that nothing in that movie would have happened had it not been at a Christmas party. Right. I will make that argument. I have made that argument. But in this one, like this could have happened anytime. You know, it doesn't matter that it's Christmas Eve. He's just doing it because the movie's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. So the Nothing Christmassy about bugs, like fucking centipedes crawling out your <laughs> gullet. Yeah, so, I mean the original plan when they started working on a part four, the plan was to continue the Ricky story, and they even had a script for it. But when Yuzna came on, he brought his brighter reanimator writer, a guy named Woody Keith, to help him rewrite the entire thing removing any and all connections from the previous entries. So when live entertainment started on part four, they had not planned on this turning into an anthology series. It was Brian Yuzna's refusal to work on a killer Santa movie that that happened. Why they didn't just hire another director who wanted to play ball. I don't know. They just really wanted this guy, which is, I mean, I get, he's a good director. I like his movies. I love Friday reanimator. I love society. Like I think he's, I think he's made some good movies. Uh, so maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But they just decided instead of hiring a director who would continue their storyline, they would stick with this guy and just let him do whatever he wanted to, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like you said, I'm, I'm with you. The, the, those movies are great. Both of those movies are uh, I'm a huge fan of them. But yeah. And so I don't. I don't know why he was so at you just don't take on silent night, deadly night, not do Christmas. I don't, that's right. I don't <laughs> understand what your people, 
what why you have a problem with this right i don't i don't get it um would you like to to attempt another plot synopsis for this one gary oh jesus uh this one's a little tougher (laughs) this one's a little tougher to summarize (laughs) this one this one's a, a weird one uh let's see how would you uh there's a reporter Yep. And she sees a woman jump off the top of the building and burst into flames. Yep. And she gets real obsessed with spontaneous combustion. She uh she wants she wants to go in on this. She's fucking the photographer for the paper she works for, is that right? The LAI, yeah. Yeah, and uh and then uh anyway. She fucks around and stumbles into a whole cult of witches, and they just make bugs be crawling all over everybody. Yeah, like basically, she goes into a bookstore looking for like books on spontaneous combustion, and turns out the bookstore is run by like a coven of witches. Um, it's it's a very overly complicated, I would say, <laughs> more complicated than any Silent Night Deadly movie thus far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with references to Lilith, and you've got all these like slimy bug effects and stuff uh the film could not be more different than the ones that came before it i mean it it feels like yasna took the kitchen sink approach to the story he threw in everything except for christmas (laughs) but and and while i think it it does i think the movie's a little like from a narrative standpoint it's a little bit messy one thing it is not as boring i loved part four honestly uh this is my favorite of the franchise after part one I'll go ahead and say that. I, I think it's a blast. Now, it probably shouldn't have been called Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'll, I'll, I would admit that. But as an experience, like I had a lot of fun with this movie. I, I'm actually with you on this one. Uh, this was the one that had me the most interested the entire time. It's just sure. like weird. It's just a weird movie. It feels very like it doesn't feel like a Silent Night, Deadly Night movie, but it feels very much like a Brian Yuzna movie. Yeah, I was gonna say you could if you just said from the team who brought brought you society, you right. get it. I mean, yeah. it definitely it is that movie. Yeah, if you like society, there's probably something to dig in this one. Yeah, I mean, and and all those slimy special effects that are in this, those are courtesy of uh, the legendary Screaming Mad George. I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with Screaming Mad George, but he's a great uh special effects guy uh he's credited as the surrealistic visual designer that's what it says in the credits surrealistic visual designer and he had, he had worked with yasna on bride of reanimator as well and created all the effects for that so the two of them had had a relationship um and i think his work here is great i think there's some really fun weird like i said slime just i just like slimy special effects in 80s movies that's one reason i love john carpenter's the thing so much you know yeah all the goo everything's goopy there's definitely some goo in this one it's some real nasty goo at the end mm-hmm. uh but yeah zef daniel I mean, that's what he goes by now but that's woody keith uh the writer um he goes by zef daniel now zef daniel is i think his real name woody keith he, was like a pseudonym like woody keith was a pseudonym yeah okay. so he he wrote society and uh and apparently some of the ideas for society that he just didn't get to use they used a lot of those here oh wow huh we'll have to do society on here one day whether it's i don't know if we i don't know if that brian yuzna has enough movies to do a whole series plus you'd have to do like a Stuart gordon series first probably but society just feels like a movie we've got to 
we've got to talk about one day. It's worth seeing. I mean, it's, it's a classic. And yeah, yeah I mean, yes, that's definitely got these, these two work together. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. Like we're, if you were going to do a series on yes, it feels like we just stumbled into the middle of it right here. Because that's true. They yeah. Had, they had society, then bride of reanimator. And then this movie. Yeah. Well, this movie, uh, it, do, you, do you want to talk about the cast at all? I don't really know much about the cast in this one. Yeah, I mean, besides like Clint Howard, I'm not oh yeah, sure you, of course many... Clint Howard doing <laughs> playing playing an ugly crazy guy, which is kind of like his bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, he did it. And, he, and by the way, his first of two times playing a character named Ricky, who I guess is not the same Ricky that's been in every other no, Silent Night. Deadly I was night. so confused by this when we were watching this because I had no, this is my first time watching any of anything past part two. This was my first time watching it, so. When me and me and the wife were watching this, and I was like, "Did they call him Ricky? Is he supposed to be the Ricky from the first movie?" And then I looked him up, and he's got a different last name. So clearly, he's not supposed to be the Ricky from from parts two and three. Why did they name him Ricky? Did they just want to confuse people? Like, I, of, there are of all the possible names that you could have given this guy, why would you name him after the killer from the previous movie? Did yeah, they not- it's tough. I don't. I don't know. I <laughs> guess just to just to give people the callback they were hoping for or something. Maybe. I don't know. Well, and and he dies. I mean, spo- spoilers again. He dies in this one and is in the next movie as Ricky again. Yeah. Well, and also the main girl in this shows up in the next movie as a yeah. as as possibly a different character, but maybe not because she yeah. does because at one point and we'll get to we'll get to part 5 in a minute but at one point in part 5 her character says something like oh you wouldn't believe the things that I've been through or something like that yeah. you know and you're like is she supposed to be the girl who almost got like transformed into a bug god or something or whatever the fuck is supposed to be happening at the end of this movie well and and the and the kid is is uh Yuzna's son. Yeah, the kid's Yuzna's son. Conan yeah, he's in Yuzna, and he's Con- in... Conan Yuzna. What a fucking name. <laughs> I know. He's in Society as a character named Jason, and he's in four and five of these yeah. movies. And I think... I he, Both both versions, he's playing a character named Lottie, so I guess... They're in the same shared universe? This is the same... Yeah, crew. I don't know. She, uh, by the way, is Neith hunter mm-hmm. which she was a model i believe she, she was like a she was like a big time model before she became an actress oh and you can see why i mean she's a she's very a, very pretty lady yeah. yeah and uh and she and she had been in some you know movies no i think she'd been like in mostly like bit parts before this and then she this was like her first uh starring role Starring role, she was mostly like I. I am not dissing on anybody. I think after this, she did like Carnosaur two. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so she's not doing her, like classics. With <laughs> a lot of Cinemax. Oh, okay. Yeah. So well, she was she's in the Red she, Shoe Diaries a couple of times. Okay, something. well, I mean, based on her the talent that she shows here, I I can see why they would pick her. Yeah, so she just uh they, That's not a dig was, against her acting. That is that is a that is that is not me criticizing her acting. That is me praising some of her other talents. Skills. Yes. <laughs> uh also uh I we should also mention that what if we're ta- while we're talking about the cast before we move on is I guess you would consider her the the bad guy, the bad guy of the movie. 
If there's a bad, I mean, yeah, I guess you, you, oh, well, before I get to her though, Reggie Bannister is in this. Reggie I was going to say, from, we can't, we, we yeah. should mention we Reggie. We got to talk about Reggie Bannister, Reggie Bannister from the, from the Phantasm movies. Um, but the, I guess she's the leader of the coven, right? Is yeah. Maud, um, Adams, Maud Adams, who was a Bond girl, not only once, but twice. She That's is right. the only, actually, actually, I think she's in three James Bond movies. She's in but three. I, I know her. Because I know that she's in the one with Christopher Lee, the man with the golden gun. And she's in Octopussy. And she's in yeah. Rollerball. No, well, wait, not Rollerball's not a James Bond movie. <laughs> maybe it is just two. Yeah, maybe it's just the two. I would, but Yeah, okay, I'm an idiot. Yeah, it's two. Yeah. Roller, if Rollerball were a... If Rollerball were a James Bond movie, that would be... That would be pretty great. No, she's. I don't she, know why oh, I saw I just, Rollerball and I said that was a James Bond. What am I thinking of? I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, James anyway, Con. Maybe you're James confusing. Con. Maybe you're confusing James Con and James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's oh, I, I just l- looked it up. She does appear as an extra in A View to a Kill. Oh, nice. Which is uh, which is a I, which is one that I really like. That's a, one of the Timothy Dalton ones, but. Uh, so I guess maybe that was sort of a cameo because she had appeared as a as an official Bond girl in the in the previous two. So that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, no, that's a. I mean, hey, that's way better than a lot of people ever get. Yeah, yeah. So Initiation was released direct to video in November of 1990. So this is just a year after Part Three, right? Part Four is released in November of 1990. And it was a big enough hit that Live wanted yet another sequel the next year. They're like, hey, this is working out for us. 1991, we're going to see another Silent Night, Deadly Night movie. Let's do it. So after Initiation was released, Gladstein, the producer, he visited the set of a film that Yuzna was producing called Guyver. Do you know the movie Guyver? Of of course I know the movie Guyver. Uh, yeah. right. <laughs> we, we've got to talk about it. About it on the podcast one day. The uh, yeah. Guyver is you talk about unhinged, yeah, uh, movies that that it's one a, is for insane. sure insane. And it also happens to be the directorial debut of Screaming Mad George. All the more reason to talk about it. That that one's going on the the roulette list immediately. If it's oh not yeah, for sure that should be there. Yeah, yeah. So so Gladstein visits the set. Yuzna, again, Yuzna's producing it, and it was during this visit that plans for a part five started to form. Yesno told Gladstein about this the story idea that he'd been brainstorming that involved an evil toy maker whose toys come to life to do his evil bidding. Not breaking new ground here. I mean, Brian Yesno's old buddy Stuart Gordon made a movie called Dolls, kind of tread similar ground. You know, uh, Charles Band was already doing it by this point. Richard Band, by the way, we should mention, does the music in Part Four. Uh, who did? reanimators music but he also is the brother of charles band who directed the puppet master movies so anyway yosna's got this idea so he's like i've got this idea about a toy maker his toys come to life and kill people whatever uh let's just turn this into part five of silent night deadly night so yosna is personally too busy to direct this time around and also kind of is not interested in directing it so he 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 comes on board as a co-writer and producer but he wants to find somebody else to actually direct the movie. So going back to the Giver, to Giver, the the guy who's the script supervisor on it is named Martin Kitrosser. 
Martin Katrasser had served in that same capacity on the first two Friday the 13th movies. He was the script supervisor, and he was good enough at his job that he would get hired to write the screenplays for part three and part five. Not the best screenplays in the franchise, mind you, but uh, he, he did get to write part three and part five. And Yuzna liked this guy. He liked Kitrosser, and he was impressed enough with his work, so he gave Kitrosser the, the chance to make his debut as a director on the next Silent Night, Deadly Night film. So, you know, this is kind of a, a good transition for him because he's working under a producer that he's worked with before and a guy who is also a director who can kind of, you know, be his mentor on the next Silent Night, Deadly Night movie. So Yesna and Kitrosser, they get together, they co-write the screenplay for part five. And now Yesna has said in interviews that he he kind of regretted bypassing a lot of the Christmas themes in part four, because like I mentioned, part four is pretty, you know, it's not really much of a Christmas movie. It just happens to take place on Christmas. So when they started writing part five, he's like, we're going to fully embrace this. We're going to write a story that's directly linked to the holiday instead of one where the holiday setting is just sort of incidental. So that's what they did. I mean, the Christmas plays a big part in part five, probably has a bigger, bigger part in part five than any of the previous movies, except for part one, I would say. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Christmas yeah. is huge in five. Yeah. So the man who was chosen to play the evil toy maker, who they named... Joe Petto. <laughs> uh, what this is a surprising choice. Hollywood icon Mickey Rooney. So if you've ever wanted to see an old, fat, sweaty Mickey Rooney dressed up in a Santa costume, well, buddy, you're in luck. Uh, interestingly, though. When all of that fervor about the original Silent Night, Deadly Night was being stirred up, you know, where people were protesting it and all that stuff, everything we talked about in our last episode, Rooney was actually one member of the Hollywood establishment who spoke up against it, saying that, this is a direct quote, the scum who made that movie should be run out of town. That's what Mickey Rooney said about the first Silent Night, Deadly Night. So why he decided he would not only join the fifth entry in a straight-to-video horror franchise but play the killer in it i don't know except that i'm assuming he needed the money and they they wrote a check that was big enough for him to throw his morals out the window <laughs> that's my only guess oh yeah good good old mickey rooney morals uh the man who played uh like mr yudiyoshi in well, breakfast yeah. at tiffany's <laughs> well, yeah, you, talk to me about your your morals oh yeah <laughs> Um, well, since we're on a roll with it, do you want to try to give one more brief plot synopsis on this one, Gary? This one's a little more straightforward than part four, at least. Yeah. I mean, this one is a, uh, there's a toy maker and, his and son. I, I will say we need to get into spoilers in this plot synopsis. Cause we have to talk about the ending of this movie. It's, it's uh, bug nuts. Uh, yeah. yeah I mean, the, 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 all you need to know is there's a, an old toy maker and his his son who wants to be a real boy. Uh, his son, his name is Pino, by the way. <laughs> uh, they they make they make toys that kill people. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, that's the basic <laughs> plot of it. But in the end, it turns out that Pino has really been the mastermind behind this, and he is a toy himself. And we see him in his full body puppet 
body, which is a great effect, by the way, also by Screaming Mad George. Yeah. Uh, and this movie builds to one of the most insane horror movie finales that I have seen in a while, where all these toys are coming to life and attacking them, and you've got Pino with his weird Pinocchio body. And <laughs> it is just, it is like the movie up until that point is pretty entertaining, I think. It's a fun it's a fun little horror movie, fun little Christmas horror movie, but that ending just really elevates it. I mean, it is the last 15 minutes of this movie are worth watching the movie for, in my opinion. It's just wacky and weird, and I, I really, I really had a good time with this one. Yeah, this one was a fun movie, and it, it fits right in. If you were gonna, it, it almost made me. Uh, like I, I don't think I like loved it or anything, but I thought it was pretty good. And yeah, it's uh, fun. And it really makes me sad that that the franchise didn't like. Whereas Halloween, you know, they fucked it up so much that it couldn't be like a you know an anthology film or not an right. anthology film, but you know, like a series of different Halloween stories. It's like okay, yeah, and I'm with you because I love Michael Myers, obviously. But Silent Night, Deadly Night really had an opportunity here that they could tell these stories and like, this would be a fun entry if this were a series of movies yeah. about Christmas horror. Yeah. Agreed. And it is, it's, it's really fun. It's really silly. And it's just a bizarre movie. Um, Martin Kittrosser, by the way, I mean, he went on, he, he, I think he directed a couple more movies, but I think he still is primarily a script supervisor. I, mean, I think he works on like Marvel movies and shit now, like as a script supervisor, uh, you know, like he's, he's made a career of that, but this, this didn't quite like put him on the road to being a, a lister director. I don't, I don't know how well it did. It did come out on video as scheduled in October of 1991. And that was kind of the end of the franchise. I don't know if this one just wasn't successful enough or what, but Brian Yuzna has, you know, joked in later years that I'm the one that killed the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. Uh, but uh, maybe they just lost interest. I don't know. By 1991, you know, the franchise had been around for more than half a decade at this point. But I yeah. think they're fun. I mean, I think all these sequels are fun. I mean, part three is definitely the the worst one, in my opinion, which is crazy because the director of that one is probably the most like acclaimed director of all of them. And he made the worst entry. How, how would you rank these, by the way? If you were to rank all five movies? For some dumb reason, I thought that... I, I feel, feel like I knew you were going to ask me this. Because, I, uh, because I'm me. <laughs> yeah, I think... In terms of not quality, but enjoyment. Like your personal ranking. I think that if I had to tell somebody what, what order to watch these movies... Or, you know, like just what... Okay, my personal ranking, like you're saying. I, I would still probably, honestly, I would say two, one, four, five, three is probably what I would do. Okay. Uh, and I and I know that we discussed who is bad, but I feel like for anybody to fully comprehend the full spectrum of why Silent Night, Deadly Night is still known to this day. Number two is the one <laughs> that the they one. have to see. Yeah, okay. I, I, I can get a bore with that. That's My ranking's a little different. I would go one at the top. I yeah. would go one, four, five, two, three. Yeah, see, I feel like that is by quality, like by actual filmmaking. It's still by my enjoyment, though, because like four has that like Four has a lot of like weird body horror stuff, which is very much like my bag. Like I love that shit. And I love 
that even though it's not connected in any way to the other hor- to the other movies in the franchise, like I just love that they put weird body horror stuff in a in a Christmas movie. You know, yeah. Uh, I just enjoy it. Like as a movie, I enjoy it. Like part two, I get a lot of joy out of. Like it's fun, but I think what brings it down to me is that it's only half a movie. You know, so. Yeah, I I get that, but like for me, it's like okay, you get the basic gist of the story that you need from part one, yeah. and you get all the fun of part two. And if you talk to most people that have any knowledge of Silent Night Deadly Night, or at least the cult following that it has, they're gonna be like, if you said part four or part one or, or whatever, they'd be like garbage day, right? And you'd be like, what the that's fuck? the part they know. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I get that. You have I get that. to know that. Like, that's the that's the essential stuff is in part two, I feel yeah. like. I get and that. I mean, like, I, I'm just ranking based on like what I like out of a movie and having a bunch of weird bug effects and slime and and having a bunch of killer toys and like the weird the the, the just extremely weird last 15 minutes of part five, like those. I enjoyed those as a whole experience more than the whole experience of part two. Part two, I enjoy bits and pieces up until the last like half an hour. Mostly Eric Freeman saying things weird during his interrogation. I was going to say, like, I feel um, like he keeps me entertained just because of his delivery. Yeah. Like, it's just like, but it, the, the stuff like, I really enjoy just... about that one all takes place in the like from garbage day on or from him killing the boyfriend on, you know. Uh, with yeah, the, with yours. The, with I the, mean, it makes sense. I'm I'm not disagreeing with you by any means. That's uh, why I said it's a personal. Like yours ranking. makes this sense. Is, yeah, not a definitive ranking. And, and, and I think that yours is definitely like quality wise, uh, for sure accurate. Like yeah. it's uh, it's it's like those. That's probably the correct order for like actual movie making. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh. You know, part five was the end of the franchise, but there was also a, a very loose remake of the original film released in 2012 that was just called Silent Night. Uh, I have not seen it, so we will not be talking about it today. <laughs> yeah, have you seen it? I, I, I saw it like when it first came out, and all I remember is like at one point Santa has a flamethrower, and so I don't recall it having any specific like uh connection to I don't think the character is even named Billy or anything like that. I think it's yeah, just think it's, it's just, just a crazy Santa guy. It's just a killer Santa. That's all yeah. it is, which there's a, a dozen of those, you know. So uh well that's it for this further viewing then I guess unless you have anything else to add. Nope. I think that's it. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Maybe next Christmas we'll just do another killer Santa movie. We'll do like Christmas Evil or I, something. I like the idea. I like enjoying the holidays that way. So. I uh, I watched a really good one that I think would make a a good uh, episode for a future Christmas episode, but I watched one called don't open till Christmas that if I were going to do like a traditional further viewing, that's outside of this franchise for the first movie, that it's probably what I would pick. It's a British movie. It actually came out the same year as the first movie. 1984 came out in December in England. And it is not about a killer Santa Claus, but it is about a killer who targets people dressed as Santa Claus. And it is dark, and it is sleazy, and it is really good, in my opinion. And it's on Shutter right sh- now, as of this recording. So since Justin uh, went traditional uh, filmmaking in his again, I'll go just super fun, and I'll say Santa Slay. Is, Santa Slay uh, is fun. Uh, the opening scene is definitely the best part of the whole movie. 
uh, watching sure. Chris get watching Chris get Catan get super kicked into an armoire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very and like Sack, Fran Drescher gets Sack her scalp ripped of, off. Yeah, Fran Drescher <laughs> is there. <laughs> it's good. It's a stupid, stupid movie, and I I am going to try to watch it before Christmas this year because it's been a long time. I remember we first watched that in my old townhouse, like uh, twenty years ago, probably like when it first came out. We watched, yeah. It. It was a fun time. Yep. Still is. I've seen it two or three times since then. But that's it. Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas, New Year, everybody. All that stuff. And uh, until next time, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. And be excellent to each other. <laughs> <laughs>